Good morning. Is there anyone in here that'd like to kill a giant? Yeah. You want, does anyone want to know how a young boy could have the courage to charge and attack a giant monster that was paralyzing an entire army in fear? Anybody here just like tired of cowering and having sand kicked in their face? You want to do something about it? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about David the giant killer. And I'd like for you to listen carefully. The way this writer writes, he's going to tell us what to listen for. He's going to tell us what the, the, the theme is by repetition of military weaponry, words about weapons. And then he's going to, come, like he's been doing all along, he's going to compare and contrast different types of people. And so the, the point is he's going to use these two methods because he's going to show us the difference between being a coward and being courageous, between having faith in the wrong thing and having faith in Jehovah God. Okay. And sp spoiler, I'm going to tell you how this ends at the very beginning. David kills the giant. But, yeah, right, it's a good ending. I couldn't wait, right? Um, so here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. This is what it's like to kill a giant. This is how every giant killing ends. This is, this is what success looks like. He will always look this way. Look at verse 47, chapter 17, 1 Samuel, and said, And then all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle belongs to Jehovah. That's how every giant killing ends that the whole world would know that this battle belonged to the Lord all along. That's what it looks like. That's what giant killing looks like. You want to kill a giant? You're going to need some courage. But everyone in this story has courage. So let me just show you today that there's different kinds of courage. Uh, do you want to kill a giant? You're going to need faith. But everyone in this story has faith. They have faith in different things, and that's going to make the difference in their courage. But there's three major characters in this story. I think in order it goes Goliath and King Saul and David. And two of them have faith in the wrong things and produces the wrong kind of courage. And David has a faith in Jehovah and produces a different kind of courage and is able to kill the giant. The lesson today is about where courage comes from. And if the source of courage is faith, and that's the difference. What you have faith in is the difference between loss and victory. If, if you don't understand what you have faith in, you're going to have the wrong kind of courage, and that's the difference between failure and success. Quite literally in this story, death and life are hanging in the balance of what the, the focus of faith is, because that's what produces the courage. Could I just show you the logical sequence of giant killing? Okay, I'll just kind of put it up here on the stage for you. You're going to need a giant, okay? Life's going to 
provide that for you. Giant is an event, a memory, a, a relationship, a set of circumstances where you have met your match. And it's going to look down on you and mock you. Could I tell you a little bit about giants? They're patient. They will stay and stand over you for days or decades. There's only two fates. They stay and mock you, and you live your life around them, or you kill them. That's the choices. You're going to need a giant. Life's going to bring that to you. You're going to need courage. Courage, the greatest of all virtues. That's the means by which you're going to do this giant killing or cower. But here's the key. Faith. Faith. That's how we live. That's the faith in what we have faith in. It produces the courage that's going to have us at the foot of this giant. And, and so there, the, there's types of courage. There's paper courage because it has, because the source of paper courage, you, know, you can fold it up any way you want with your origami thing in, but it doesn't matter. It gets squashed by the giant. And the source of a paper courage is faith in your own resources or your own intelligence or your own strength or whatever that might be. There's a different kind of courage that can defeat the giants in life. It's a titanium tungsten, steel, courage, that comes from a faith in the everlasting God. And, and the way you have this faith is to know God and remember how he has worked in your life. Because this faith produces that courage which kills those giants. That's what we're going to look at today. Let me, before we move on to the story itself, the Bible speaks of multiple Sources of faith, con, you know, conflicting faith, inferior faith, three of them that it brings up in Jeremiah I'd like to investigate today. I want you to just to entertain that maybe this is what you might have put faith in, and that's why you have paper mache courage, and that's why the giants still roam wild in your life. One of the ones it talks about is faith in your own strength, and here's what happens in a lot of people's lives. They, life is hard, and so they work harder. You know, can-do attitude, a good work ethic, put in the hours. And then a giant shows up and says, there's not enough hours in the day for me, pal. And there's no working harder. And this is the youngest you'll be for the rest of your life. Um, life is, life is uh, juggling. And good for some of you that can juggle four, but I can juggle six. And then life keeps happening and it's not added balls, it's, it's chainsaws and machetes now. And, and, and now we're afraid, and rightfully so, because we had courage based on our own strength. You know, we had courage based on our own faith, on, on our own strength, this faith in a bad thing. So don't put your faith in your strength. Intelligence, right? There's uh, many people, it's like, I, life comes at you hard, you put your faith in the thing that's worked for you, I can fix this. That's what I do. I'm, I'm, I can fix things. And I can figure what's wrong and then fix that, and then we can move along. And then a giant shows up and mocks your intelligence. A lot of life cannot be figured out. Look at you with your little squirrel brain. And you look up in terror, and you should, because 
because you've gotten along on your intelligence and there's something that just won't be understood. You have fake courage because you have bad faith. And then last is, is, is wealth. You can get along quite well in, in our world, you know, if you have enough resources. Could I tell you that there are giants out there that can chew through $100,000 as a snack and not even burp? I hope you have a lot. And then there's other giants that don't even care about money because money can't solve these problems. And, and so you should be afraid if you have faith in your resources because your courage is unable to deal with this kind of giant. Now, the classic villain in this story that we're looking at is King Saul. And, and I say that because his name is mentioned over oh, about 20 times in chapter 17 because he is not doing the right thing. He has bad courage because he has bad faith. And if he were here today, he would tell you this. He'd say, hey, listen, you strong men, don't put your faith in your strength. I was the strongest in my nation, and then Goliath rang the doorbell. Don't put your faith, you know, in your intellect. You know, we had, we had military technology, and then the Philistines arrived. Don't put your hope in your wealth. I was rich as a king, and a country showed up that could buy us. He would say this, if you want to kill a giant, if you want to boast about something, you want to put hope in something, you want to have faith in something, have faith in this, that you know God and you understand his ways because that faith produces a real courage and will kill a giant. That's what the story's about. That's what Saul would tell you in his whining and his complaining because today what we're comparing is a strong man with a faith in a weak thing with a weak boy who has faith in a strong God. That's what we're talking about today. That's the story of David and Goliath. And as they say before the fight, here we go. It starts in the Valley of Elah and the two opposing armies on each hill and in the middle is that valley. On one side is the Israelis. And they're mostly farmers, and they can beat up other farmers. And in come the Philistines. They are warriors. They are Klingons. They're Nazis. And they are, have every tactical and military advantage they could have. And if you go down on a level playing field, Israel will be slaughtered. And they know that. That's the valley of death for them. Now, in the description of Goliath, you're going to see a unique thing that, has, that I, I'm not sure has happened anywhere else in ancient Hebrew literature. Okay? This is uh, Robert Alter that says this. You can't find another lengthy description of the physical attributes of anyone. Okay? Here, and here's why. Here's why he goes into these details. He says, an almost grotesquely quantitative embodiment of what a hero is, this hulking monument of an obtuse mechanical conception of what constitutes power. You think that guy's an academic, or is it just me? <laughs> He's not coming to any party I have. But what he, let me translate, if you don't mind. 
What he's saying is this, this description, the reason it's so unusual and lengthy is he wants you to see that, that Goliath is the description, the, 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 the definition of what it means to be a hero and what it means to have power. Okay? That's what it is. Behold, Goliath. The champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor that was made out of bronze, and it weighed 125 pounds. His legs, he wore bronze shin guards, and bronze javelin was slung over his, his back. He had a spear shaft that was like a weaver's rod, and on the tip of the iron tip alone was like a 16-pound sledgehammer. His shield bearer went ahead of him. He's a human tank. And look at all the descriptive words of military paraphernalia. This is just the beginning. That's the theme of the story. That's where people put their faith. And, and, and this Goliath, look at all that he has. By the way, does Goliath have, does he have courage? Oh, yeah, he has courage. Why wouldn't he have courage? Because he has brute strength. He has the ability to even carry this stuff around with him. So he's hulking in size and strength and power. He has, uh, I guess you'd call it intelligence, military technology, like no other country in the Middle East. That's why they mention bronze four times. And then as far as resources go, almost unlimited, because what Goliath has, there's plenty of that behind him. And so, yeah, does Goliath have courage? Because he has 50 to 1 odds here. And now Goliath is going to come out, and now he comes to the 50-yard line here in the valley, and he's going to yell at the Israelis, and he's going to call Saul out by name. And I want you to listen for that because this is Saul's battle. He's the king. He's the biggest guy. That's why they got a king in the first place, to fight such a war as this. And so this Goliath in this, this human tank says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do, you, why do you come out and line up like you're going to war? Because no one's going to war. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down here to me. If, uh, if he's able to fight and kill me, then we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight together. And on hearing this, the, Phil the Philistine's word, Saul, there he is again, and all of the Israelites were in dismay and terrified. Boom, draws a line in the sand. Come and get me. Now suddenly, unexpectedly, in the middle of dynamic storytelling of, of an intense combat story, the author cuts and contrasts, leaves the fight to go 18 miles away to reintroduce David. And look at the terms that he uses. David was the youngest of eight boys. And David went back and forth to Saul to tend to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. He's a young boy. He's probably 17, but he's the youngest of eight. He's the runt. And he's a shepherd boy. If he, like if he had, uh, if he's a prize fighter and he had a nickname, it would be David the shepherd boy. Yeah, and you would laugh, and everyone else does. Everyone laughs at the little shepherd boy. He's literally the smallest guy in this whole storyline. Okay? Okay, and then, watch this. So they cut over to the shepherd boy. Then they cut back to the fight to show another contrast where it says in verse 16, 
Forty days the Philistine came forward. Morning and evening he took a stand. Two times a day, 40 days. Did I tell you about giants? They're patient. They don't leave. You can try to ignore them, but they don't leave. They will mock you and humiliate you, or you're going to have to kill them. That's how it works. And in the morning, the Philistine walks out and kicks sand in the face of the Israeli army. And about the time they finally get it out of their teeth, the sun is setting, and he does it all over again. They eat sand from this man as he mocks them and their God. Forty days. Breakfast, dinner. If he came out here today, we'd be eating sand until the time we could smell turkey cooking for Thanksgiving. And if that giant showed up, he'd take our Thanksgiving turkey and our lunch money and still kick sand in our face. That's how long it was. Day after day. And then, day 41, Jesse sent the shepherd boy to deliver some bread to his older brothers. And uh, that's what changed everything. Because all these other people are going to keep putting up with this giant, kicking sand in their face. And you know why? Because they would have to change their courage. And to change their courage, they'd have to change their faith. They'd have to quit believing in uh, their own power, their own resources, their own intelligence. And then the eighth-born shepherd boy leaves his flocks, goes to the front line where his brothers is, and it says, Goliath gave forth his usual defiance, but this day David heard it, and the challenge is accepted. Here's what David says. David asks the men standing near him, because they're all running everywhere, he goes, uh, what will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? One taste of sand, one taste of sand, and the little shepherd boy says, who's going to kill this derogatory term, uncircumcised Philistine, because he's occupying God's promised land for us. He's breathing our air. He mocks our God. We're going to have to kill this. And everybody else is like, David, David, look, man, you'll get used to the taste of sand, okay? That's why they call them sandwiches, okay? It's like, put a little mayonnaise on it. You can, like, it's just your first day. It's hard to choke this thing down the first time. Saul finds out about David. Okay, I mean, well, I jumped ahead, sorry. David asked the question, what happens to the person who kills this Philistine? Do you know what? The, the answer is this. I'll read it because you won't believe it. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his own daughter to marriage, the, the, the victor, and will exempt the father's family from taxes of Israel for life. He put tr- Saul has fake courage because he has fake faith. And he had faith in his own strength, and that didn't work. And now he's going to have faith in his own resources. He's going to pay someone else to kill this giant. He's going to throw money at it. He's going to throw his daughter at it. He's going to throw his daughter at trying to solve this problem. And so the word gets around to Saul that David's talking like, I want to kill this giant. And so he comes into the very presence of Saul. And here's what David says to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. 
There's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And sometimes every once in a while, they'll kind of sneak like, you know, what they really think it's supposed to mean. Here's what they said. The Greek translation says, let not the king lose heart because the shepherd boy has arrived. And just to, get, just to make sure you understand the worldview of the courage that is driven by the fake faith that Saul has, Saul says this, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him, for you are only a boy, and he has been fighting men from his youth. He has bad courage because he has faith in size and strength. That didn't work. The money thing isn't working so good either. And so now David's going to respond to him being small, and I want you to listen for two things. One, I want you to listen for his courage. That'll be pretty obvious. But I want you to listen for the source of his courage. It's a different kind of courage. It's titanium. And it's a different, because it's from a different source. Here we go. Here's David. First of all, the first line is supposed to be kind of entertaining. And David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Room full of military generals and a king. Okay. I've been keeping sheep. I'm 17. You know, I got my stories too. Yeah, there you go. Now you get it. When a lion or a bear came and he carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after him and I struck that. I struck him and then I rescued the sheep from its mouth and the lion and bear is still alive. And when that lion and bear turned on me, I seized him by the hair and I struck it and killed it. Okay, the servant has killed both a lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Here it is. Here's the source of his faith. Jehovah, who delivered me from the paw of this lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the paw of this Philistine. See, it's a different kind of courage because it's a different kind of faith. Anybody want to kill a giant? Two easy steps right here. One, you're going to need courage from the right faith. You're going to need courage from the right faith. David had courage from his faith in God. It was the Lord who caused me to defeat, you know, gave me over to the paws of the lion and the paws of the bear, and now the paws of this stupid Philistine. He has titanium courage because he has faith in Jehovah God who did the work for him. David doesn't say, you know, I'm pretty good with a sling. He says, God did this. He did this. If David were here, he'd say, don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom or the wealthy man boast in his wealth. Don't let the strong man boast in his strength. Let him who boasts, boast in this. You want to have faith? To have real courage? That you know God and you understand his ways. Step one, to have the right kind of courage, you have to have faith in the right thing. Step two, you have to remember the right stories. You have to remember the right stories. David, you have to trust God to kill a lion and then remember how God killed that lion. You have to trust God to kill that bear, and then remember how God killed that bear. Friends, a lot of our faith in the current and our present and in the future is based on the bedrock of remembering appropriately, remembering accurately. Spurgeon says this about the way we remember. It's sad. Some saints have very short memories. It's been very well said that we write the benefits in dust and the injuries in marvel. It's equally true that we generally inscribe our afflictions upon brass and we record deliverances of God. Well, those are written in water. We carve in stone 
That time it didn't work out. And we write in the clouds the seven times God delivered us. Much of the faith that we live on is based on remembering well about what God has done. Hey, parents, listen to me. You want to raise a giant killer? When they're young, don't let them like the taste of sand. Don't let them get used to that. When they have these little skirmishes in elementary school, let them go kill a little lion. And then you remind them of the story again and again. So that when they're in junior high, they can kill, you know, a teenage bear. This this is is all metaphors. These are all metaphors. Okay? They're all metaphors. Don't let them get used to the taste of sand. And when they kill that bear, you say, you you make, an, you make a moment out of that, and then you remind them. You teach them how to remember how the Lord delivered them from a lion, how the Lord delivered them from a bear, so that they would see that the Lord could deliver them from this giant. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be babies. Yeah, amen. David gives this pronouncement of how he's going to tear this giant apart. And Saul responds by showing his faith again. He has David try on another list of military paraphernalia. He says, try on my, he makes him put on his coat of armor, his bronze helmet, and his sword. And do you know why? Because he had faith in his own strength and that didn't work. He had, Saul had fake faith in his resources and no one's, no one's, doing it, right? And now he's showing he has faith in technology. Yeah, we got a little, you know, military technology here. And that's what he has faith in. And that's why he has a paper courage. And that's why the giant is winning. David will have nothing to do with that. That's somebody else's story, and the story doesn't end well. So, so, So the king says, may the Lord be with you. Great. Now, I want you to picture the chaos, if you don't mind. The king is cowering. The Israeli army is fleeing. The giant is mocking. And when all this is happening, there's a boy who goes and picks up, the Bible says, his shepherd's staff. Because he's just a shepherd boy, friends. It's all he is. And then he goes down to the river and picks up Five smooth stones. I love the feel of stones in the morning. Feels like a giant killing. So it puts it in his shepherd's pouch. And then he's going to the 50-yard line. With all this crazy going around, there's David. The fight begins. And when he shows himself, the giant sees him. And look what he said. I'll read it to you. And then and he looked at David and saw that he was only a boy, and he was ruddy and handsome, and, and so uh, Goliath despised him. And he said, what, am I a dog that you would send sticks after me? And then cursed David in the name of his gods. One of those gods being Dagon, I might add. Think about that. And so, um, because I want you to hear this. David is going to kill a lot more than a giant in just a few seconds. He's going to kill the idols of all the men in this story. 
because he's going to kill the things that they all have faith in, strength and wisdom and resources. <laughs> it's not going to go well. He, he has this big speech, and the speech is longer than the battle because the narrator wants you to know what's really taking place. He gets a little bit closer to Goliath, and Goliath says to him, come here, shepherd boy, and I'll give you your carcass to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. And here's how David responds. And David responds by saying, you come against me. Here's the list again. Here comes against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of God Almighty, the God of all the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. And then he says, I'm going to say this to you because it's going to come so fast that you'll be dead before it happens. This is what's going to happen. I'm coming over there and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your head off your shoulders and all of the Philistine army will be the food for the wild beasts and for the birds of the air. And then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not with a sword and a spirit that everybody has faith in. It's the Lord who saves. The battle belongs to the Lord. Now it's game on. I'm going to shut you up before you say another thing about Jehovah. So he charges the giant, puts a rock in his sling, lets it fly. It says it hits it in his forehead, and then it says it sunk into his skull. He's already dead, friends. Timber. He falls face down. Flashback. Like the god of the Philistines, Dagon. It was face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. This stupid giant shows up with spear and javelin and sword to a gunfight. He was dead before David was close enough to smell him. It goes on. Verse 50. And so David triumphed over the Philistine uh, with a sling and a stone, in contrast, without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then it says David stood over him, took the sword out of the sheath of Goliath because Goliath never had a chance to get it out. Cut the giant's head off. Holds it up, and that's when mayhem breaks out, and the Israeli army floods down the valley and across and attacks the Philistines all the way back to Gath. That's how you kill a giant. He takes the head off of Goliath face down. Flashback. Like Dagon, the god of the Philistines who fell down a second time in front of the ark and lost his head? I'm just saying. You want to kill a giant? You're going to need some courage. A different kind of courage. You're going to have to know God and understand his ways. It's a different kind of courage because it's a different kind of faith. And you find that courage and you find that faith and it's experiencing the presence of God in your life a figure of speech in the Bible, because almost every declaration by God that says, be strong and courageous, is followed by the phrase, for the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. There's something about our mindset that we need to see the Lord amongst us. And we're going to sing a song in just a minute, and we're going to say, above and below me, before and behind me, every upon me, Christ is all around me. From the giant in your life, fixing this marriage, taking responsibility for a, a life that's full of ruin, going deep into what motivates you to keep you from repeat offending, to, um, living with loneliness, 
Those are giants that require a different kind of courage from a different kind of faith. You have to know God and enjoy him and understand his ways. That's one. And two, you have to know how to remember. You have to know how to remember. Our, per, our current and present faith and future faith is built upon the foundation of how God has worked in the past. Deuteronomy 8 says, if you forget what the Lord has done, you'll come off the rails. It's about remembering right. Look, some of you are not ready to kill a giant. That's okay. You need to kill a bear. Some of you are not ready to kill a bear. That's okay. You need to kill a lion. You need to get a track record of how God is working in your life right now. And sometimes, honestly, it's, it's an idea of, of the sovereignty of God, being able to look back in your life and seeing how God was working all along to bring you to this place. You're going to need a different kind of courage, built on a different kind of faith, and you're going to need to learn how to remember what God has done. Are there any warriors in the house this morning? Anybody here tired of putting their faith in some silly thing like their own power, you know, their own intellect, their own resources? You want to change faith so you change courage? Oh, yeah. Anybody here tired of eating sand and want to pick up a rock? Yeah, let's kill some giants. Could I t <laughs> can I tell you um, the aftermath of a giant killing? This is the part that never makes it to kids' Sunday school lessons. And most uh, adults either, okay? Let me tell you how the story ends, because three things happen after he kills a giant, okay? Saul finds, sees the whole thing happen and says, somebody bring me that shepherd boy. And so David keeps the head of Goliath and brings him into the tent of King Saul. What was that like? Hey, tallest, biggest guy in all of Israel. Was this... The problem that you had? Do you have any more? I got four more rocks. <laughs> then David takes the head of Goliath and walks five hours and 32 minutes back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is not owned by the Israelis. It is a Jebusite city, and it's five miles uphill from Bethlehem, David's hometown. And while David is, you know, taking care of all these sheep, he's looking up at that city of Jerusalem and he wants it for God's glory. And so he brings the head of Goliath 18 miles walking home and he leaves it in Jer at Jerusalem. And he was the first guy to say it. I'll be back. Then he takes the sword of Goliath. He's keeping that. And it says he hangs it up, you know, right over his you know, deerskin rug, kind of adjusts that lion head mounted so he can look at the sword too. And then he goes back to tending sheep. But David, the shepherd boy, he's gone forever because now it's David the warrior, David the giant killer, David the, the king elect. And from this point forward, 
we'll be reading about that David. Let's pray about killing giants. Lord Jesus, your spirit indwells us in the way that it did that teenage boy. You desperately want us to have God's stories. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you would give us insight about the giants that have found their way in our life, and we keep trying to ignore them or put them off, or we live with the acknowledgement that we're sand eaters. And, Lord, I'd ask today that this would be the 41st day, and we're tired of that. Lord, I'd ask that you'd help us understand where we've been putting faith in dumb places that allow us to have a papier-mâché courage that'll get us through a certain amount of life, but not the really great stories. Give us great God stories. Let us kill a lion through your power. Let your spirit allow us to kill a bear so that we would remember the glory of the Lord in our lives, that we might face the giant that you have for us, that we might know you, understand your ways, and remember well. We want to be a church of giant killers. Let's go kill some giants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.